0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary PSL. Please join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, Get Wisdom. All right, so when Solomon was just a youth, his father David gave him some really good advice. Now, years later, after David gave him some advice, uh, what happened was Solomon wrote about that advice in the book of Proverbs. So reflecting back on what his dad said to him, This is what Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter four. He said, when I was my father's son, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, so we don't know how old Solomon was, um, just a youth, just a boy probably, and so tender and and the only one in the sight of my mother, he, David, King David, also taught me and said to me. Now I want you right now to picture a father encouraging his son. Picture that in your mind. David says to Solomon, let your heart retain my words. Keep my commands and live. Get wisdom. Can you see a father telling his boy this? Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will preserve you. Love her and she will keep you. He said wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom, and son, and all you're getting, get understanding. What an amazing charge from father to son. And those words, that encouragement from David to Solomon made a strong impression on that young man. The reason that we know this is because years later, after Solomon was established as the king of Israel, He took his father's advice, and so what happened was, one night after he became the king, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream. And the Lord said, ask what I shall give to you. And Solomon responded back to the Lord. He said, oh Lord God, you have made me king over a people more numerous than the dust of the earth. And then Solomon said this to the Lord. Check it out on the screen. He said, give me now. He's praying to the Lord, he says, give me now riches and honor. Is that what it says? You know, give me possessions, give me great wealth. No, no, no. Give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in before this people. For who can govern this people of yours, which is so great? I love this because Solomon never forgot the words of his father spoken to him all those years ago. He never forgot the charge that his father gave him to get wisdom and that is why he asked the Lord after he became king, I'm convinced of it, it's why he asked the Lord for wisdom. Now how did God Reply to Solomon, God said, because this was in your heart and you have not asked for possessions, wealth, honor or the life of those who hate you and have not even asked for long life, but have asked for what? Wisdom and knowledge, God says wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. I love this. How many of you guys believe God answers prayer, right? Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you, and I will also give you riches, possessions, and honor, such as none of the kings had who were before you, and none after you shall have the like. And so Solomon asks the Lord for wisdom, and God shows up in a big way. Wow, does he ever give his servant Solomon wisdom? The Bible says that Solomon became the wisest man alive. That's amazing. So not only did Solomon become a skilled architect, not only did he become a prolific author, not only did he become a prudent politician, and not only did he become a wise sage, Solomon became the most prosperous king in all of Israel's history. And so under Solomon's leadership, Israel rose to its peak, and God blessed his people spiritually, God blessed his people um, economically, and politically, and militarily, and the Lord. Because Solomon asked for wisdom, God blessed, and what happened is the Lord gave Israel a very long period of peace and righteousness and prosperity. And it all started when a father looked his son in the eye and said, Son, principle. He says, Wisdom is the principal thing. So I want you to get wisdom and I want you to get understanding. Now, like Solomon, how many of you believe that we need wisdom today? We all need wisdom desperately today. And that happens to be the next topic that James addresses in his letter to the Christian community. But before we get to the text, we gotta define the word, all right? And so what does the word wisdom mean? I really encourage you uh, at home in here to take notes. Uh, wisdom is the ability to perceive and discern things from whose perspective? You see that? So important. The ability to perceive and discern things from God's perspective and apply, apply, don't just hear it, apply his truth to our lives. And so as you can see, having wisdom is more than just having knowledge. Knowledge or the learning of a bunch of facts, you know, that's wonderful, but it isn't enough. We also need to see things the way God sees them. We also need a discerning heart from the Lord. We also need to begin to apply God's truth to our lives. As the old saying goes, you can get knowledge from college, but wisdom, wisdom comes from the Lord. Right, And this is why I strongly, by the way, um, encourage parents to send their kids to Christian colleges. And the reason I encourage that is because, man, it's such a different experience than universities that are based on humanism. And so Christian colleges, institutions of higher uh, learning that are Christ-centered, here's what they'll do. Uh, They'll give your kid knowledge. He needs knowledge, she needs knowledge, but then they're also gonna emphasize the importance of seeing things from God's perspective, being discerning, and applying God's truth uh, to their lives, the whole different environment. My heart breaks sometimes when parents send their kids off to whatever whatever state university that's humanistic in their philosophy, and the kid comes home four years later, and, and, and their faith has been damaged because of all the junk that they have heard in the classroom, and so what do we need? We need wisdom, wisdom, as God defines wisdom in his word. And this passage right here today, along with some other passages that I'm gonna share with you later, it's gonna tell us how we can get wisdom, all right? And so right now, both here and at home, if you're looking at James chapter three, verse 13, can you say Amen. Okay, so follow along in God's word. James, the little half brother of Jesus, the lead pastor of the church of Jerusalem, he said, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. In other words, it's not just about knowledge, it's not just about accumulating a bunch of facts, it's way more than that. It's applying God's word. And wisdom to your life. Verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Stop lying against the truth. Verse 15. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, whoa, demonic. There's a demonic form of wisdom out there. Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder, chaos, and every vile practice, corruption. Verse 17, but, it's always good news, right? But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, Impartial, if you have the New American Standard Bible, uh, it says unwavering and sincere. Verse 18, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. All right, so in this very short passage that we're gonna tackle this afternoon, James contrasts two kinds of wisdom. Wisdom from above, and wisdom from below. We're gonna call wisdom from above godly wisdom. We're gonna call the wisdom from below worldly wisdom. All right, so godly wisdom, he talks about that in verses 17 and 18, but before that, he talks about worldly wisdom in verses 14, 15, and 16. All right, so we'll start there. We'll start with worldly wisdom. What is it? Taking notes? Worldly wisdom is humanistic philosophy that is man-centered, and devoid of God and his truth. Worldly wisdom, ladies and gentlemen, is based upon humanistic philosophy. Worldly wisdom, it's all about man at the center, not God, no, man's at the center. Right, and so it's not about Christ and his kingdom, it's about man and his kingdom. It's not about living for the Lord, it's about living for yourself. It's not about seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and trying to apply God's truth to your life, no. It's all about me, myself, I. It's all about the kingdom of man and I'll live however I want to live, don't tell me what to do. Right, that's the world. And so as believers, if you're really a blood-bought, born-again follower of Jesus Christ, then what I know is that God has called you and I to something different. James um, had a friend, his name was John the Apostle. Remember John? John wrote these three little letters at the end of your Bible, and in 1 John 2.15, John said, do not love the world. Do not love the world, neither the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so when we're faced with worldly wisdom, right, we have to reject it, not love it. If we love it, if we love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. All right, so what's the origin of this kind of earthly wisdom? Well, worldly wisdom, it's a humanistic philosophy. We already talked about that. It's man-centered, devoid of God and his truth. Where does it come from? Well, the origin is the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's where it comes from. You say, where do you get that? I get that in verses 14 and 15. So look again, (laughs) please, at your Bible, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, here it is, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. James says that the wisdom from the world is earthly, it's unspiritual, and it's demonic. And those three terms um, go really well with what Paul wrote about in Ephesians chapter two, one through three, when Paul wrote about the world, the flesh, and the prince of the power of the air, also known as the devil. And so let's break those three things down. You know What's the origin of worldly wisdom? The world, okay, what's the world? As I told you three or four weeks ago, it's not planet Earth, right? We all love planet Earth. God's creation is beautiful. I love going up into the mountains. I love, you know, staying in a cabin, having my devotions on a porch, overlooking several ranges of mountains. I love going out into a, a lake in the middle of the mountains. You, All of us love sunsets and sunrises on the beach. Uh, we, all, we all love these beautiful things about planet Earth. That's not what the Bible's talking about it at all. Planet, by the way, is a gift from God and we should take care of our planet. But that's not the world, that's not what what God is, is saying through James here. What's the world? The world is better defined as the world system. The world, if you're with me, say amen here. The world is godless philosophy and behavior that we see in unredeemed humanity. Godless philosophy and behavior that believes the lie that man and his kingdom is what's most important. That's the world. What's the flesh? The flesh is synonymous with the sin nature that we all received from Adam. And so the flesh is the sin nature and it believes the lie that we should indulge our sinful appetites as much as possible. You only got one life, man, you just gotta go for it. What's the devil, who's the devil? Well, you know. The devil is that fallen angel, Lucifer. We know him as Satan. And the demons are the f- angels that fell with Lucifer when they rebelled against God. And so you have Satan and you have demons. There's this demonic realm. The Bible says and I think it's 1 John 5, 9, that we are of God, that in other words, born again Christians that love Jesus, we're of God and the whole world lies in the power of the wicked one. And so, What's the wicked one doing? The wicked one is going uh, to and fro around the earth and he's trying to deceive people to buy into any lie that he can get them to buy into to keep people from coming to the Father through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows that someday he's gonna be thrown in the lake of fire, or maybe in his twisted mind he thinks he's gonna somehow get out of that, but here's what I know, he's trying to stop as many people from being reconciled to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, and so what's the world say? The world says, you're the master of your own life. So look out for number one. What's the flesh say? The flesh says, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And what does demonic uh, powers say? Demonic powers will whisper in people's ears, you know, Jesus, this Jesus stuff, Jesus is really of no consequence. You know, good teacher, yeah. Prophet, maybe, Eternal Son of God, fairy tale. You see, you know, smart people they have to um, distinguish the fact that there's the historical Jesus. He's the real Jesus, and then you got you know the divine Christ. That's the Jesus that the, the his followers made up later on, after he died. He rose again? No, of course not. I don't know if I should throw up now or later. Right? It's just garbage. It's The wisdom of the world. It's earthly, ladies and gentlemen. It's unspiritual and it's demonic. All right, so what are the characteristics of this worldly wisdom? He told us bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. We see that in verses 14 and 15. He repeats himself twice. Bitter, jealousy, selfish ambition. All right, and so if we subscribe to worldly wisdom, what's gonna happen, it might be fine now, everything may be be great now, but at some point, if we subscribe to worldly wisdom, it's gonna bear fruit in our lives. It's not gonna end well. And So what kind of fruit does this wisdom of the world produce? It produces, again, bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. All right, so let's think about what these words mean, what these phrases mean in the Greek. So bitter jealousy, quote, an envious and contentious rivalry. Jealousy. That's what it means in the original language. An envious and contentious rivalry. Now sadly, we see this concept right here in a lot of modern day politics. Right, instead of uh, two politicians or a bunch of politicians, instead of them civilly and respectfully debating the issues of what's right or wrong for America, politicians decide to get ugly with their opponents. Instead of treating their opponent as a human being who's been made in the image of God, even though you disagree with what they're saying, instead of treating that person and seeing that person as a human being who has been made in the image of God, what happens in in modern day politics too often is that there's this bitter jealousy between the opponents, and it's, it, there's this envious and contentious rivalry that's going on, and it's characterized, ladies and gentlemen, it's characterized by character assassinations, and it's characterized by name calling. And it's not just the politicians who are to blame. The supporters of those politicians are also to blame if they engage in the same ugly conduct. Speaking about politics, by the way, what does selfish ambition mean in the original language? Isn't this interesting? I was kind of, kind of laughed to myself how timely God's word is because we all know what's gonna happen on November 3rd. So what does this phrase mean in the original language, in the Greek? It literally means electioneering. A desire to put oneself forward. Partisanship. And fractiousness. Fractiousness means arguing and quarreling back and forth. Kind of like when you're watching the cable news at night, you got the split screen, the two people are going at it back and forth, you know, getting ugly with one another. That's fractiousness. So, again, once again, Instead of respectfully and civilly debating the issues, politics often turns into this partisanship, this fractiousness. And so what happens is that politicians seek to put themselves forward. And a lot of times, the way they put themselves forward is by putting the other person down. They make themselves look good by causing this person, by what they say, to look bad. It's like, so childish. And so what happens is that the motto that, that a lot of politicians live by is you gotta get him before he gets us. And so what this has nothing to do with is Christ and his principles in the Sermon on the Mount. In, in much of modern day politics, it's not about do unto others as you would have them do unto you, it's about do unto others before they do unto you. It's not about loving your enemies and praying for those who wrong you. It's about hating your enemies and hitting them where it hurts the most. It's not about turning the other cheek. It's about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So I don't care if you're Republican and I don't care if you're Democrat. You've got to admit in this culture today, much of what we see in politics has nothing to do at all with Christ and his principles in the Sermon on the Mount. What is it? It's a display of worldly wisdom, it is not godly wisdom. And so we have a choice to make in the church. Are we gonna be like the world, or are we gonna be like Christ? Are we gonna follow the wisdom of the world, or are we gonna follow the godly wisdom from our Lord Jesus Christ that we read about in Matthew chapter five, Matthew chapter six, and Matthew chapter seven. You say, Pastor, why do you keep emphasizing this Sermon on the Mount? I don't know why, I just can't stop thinking about it. It's been three or four weeks now, and I keep It's like someone shouting at me, Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Mount. I think I have a hunch of why, because the Lord wants me as the pastor of this church to continue to exhort you and admonish you and encourage you to not be like the world. And so we've got a commitment to make right now. Uh, Somebody tell me, is the date the 26th, is that what? Okay, so July 26th until November 3rd. We all, as individuals, should make a commitment that from now until November 3rd and beyond, we are not gonna violate the principles from the lips of Jesus Christ found in the Sermon on the Mount. And if you choose to go off the rails, and if you choose to, to follow how some people engage in all this arguing, all this quarreling, and all this ugliness, What you're doing by choosing to do that is you're showing that you are prioritizing man's kingdom over God's kingdom. You're prioritizing worldly wisdom over godly wisdom because James says it as clear as day and the Holy Spirit has inspired him that this is not the way we are supposed to be. So should we have a candidate that we follow? Yes. Should we vote? Yes. Should we vote our biblical values please? Yes. A thousand percent, yes, 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 yes. But make sure that you don't follow the wisdom of the world. We're better than that. We've got to follow the wisdom of Jesus Christ seen in the Sermon on the Mount. What's the result of worldly wisdom? It's chaos and corruption. He promises it. Look at verse 16. But where jealousy and selfish ambition, I just defined it for you, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there may be, no, there will be disorder, that's chaos, and every vile practice, that's corruption. And so the individual who makes a choice right, that I'm gonna sow bitter jealousy, I'm gonna sow selfish ambition, that individual can expect to reap, everything might be fine now, but that person can expect to reap chaos and confusion in their life. And the nation that decides we're gonna sow bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, they can expect to reap chaos and corruption as well. I always thank the Lord that he shows us a different way. He shows us the wrong way to take and then he shows us the right way to take. And the right way to take is in verse 17. Okay, so look at verse 17 again. He says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, it's open to reason, it's full of mercy and good fruits, it's um, impartial, again, New American Standard, unwavering, and it's sincere. All right, so what is wisdom from above? What is godly wisdom? I really love this definition from gotquestions.org. If you're new to Calvary, you got to go to that website. And they answer all the questions you have about the Christian faith, religion, life, death, eternity, heaven, hell, angels, you know, on and on and on. There's just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of questions that are answered. It's really a solid resource. I love I love the way they define godly wisdom here. He said, Godly wisdom honors God. It starts with the fear of God and results in what kind of life? A holy life. With godly wisdom, I love this, we trade earthly values, right? Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. We trade earthly values for biblical values. Sermon on the Mount. We recognize that we are citizens of another kingdom and we make choices that reflect that allegiance. And so Paul wrote to the church of Philippi in Philippians chapter three, verse 20, and he says, our citizenship is in heaven. (laughs) Our citizenship is not here on the earth. If it is, it's secondary. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if we really believe that our citizenship is in heaven, what are we gonna do? We're gonna act like it. We're gonna read about our citizenship in the pages of the New Testament, and then we're gonna live out our citizenship by trading earthly values for biblical values. What's the origin of godly wisdom? Well, I don't have to spend any time on this at all because in verse 17, James says it's wisdom from above. And So the origin of this godly wisdom, of course, it's the Lord So we'll move on to the next point, what's the characteristics? Now, you can read it in verse 17 or you can look up at the screen, but here's the characteristics, and I really enjoyed doing a Greek word study of all these words in the original language. And so, what are the characteristics? And by the way, the next time you're watching TV or you're listening to someone speak, just ask yourself, Are these the characteristics that I'm hearing? (laughs) All right, so first of all, it's pure. Godly wisdom is pure. That means that it has genuine motives as opposed to deceptive. Have you ever had someone approach you and they're really nice to you and you know the reason they're being nice is because they want to get something out of you? They want something from you? Okay. That's worldly wisdom. You know, using flattery to butter somebody up so I can get something from that person. And James says, no, 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 no. Godly wisdom, it's pure. It's got genuine motives, it's not deceptive. Then he says, it's peaceable. In other words, it promotes peace and harmony as opposed to angry arguments. Again, the split screen on cable news where they're yelling back and forth, back and forth. It's worldly wisdom. Godly wisdom is peaceable. Godly wisdom is gentle, that means it's willing to yield as opposed to being stubborn and un- unrelenting. It's reasonable, that it means it's open to change as opposed to being close-minded. It's merciful, which means it's kind to people who've erred. I mean, how many of you guys have ever messed up? I'll raise two hands. Don't you want people to be kind to you when you mess up? It's merciful. And so if if, if we really have godly wisdom, it's merciful, that means we're kind to people who've erred as opposed to being judgmental and critical of them. It's full of good fruit. So just like chapter two, true faith is characterized by good works, so godly wisdom is characterized by good deeds as opposed to evil deeds. Uh, New American Standard again, um, unwavering. So the idea there in the original language is that when it comes to truth, God's truth, we're fixed. Listen ladies and gentlemen, when it, when it comes to God's word, we don't compromise, we don't waver. We speak the truth, but we speak it in love. And then finally it's sincere. That means what you see is what you get as opposed to being a hypocrite. That's the wisdom that comes From the Lord. All right. So, what's the result of this kind of wisdom? It's peace and righteousness. Anybody want peace and righteousness in your life, right? And so, that is found in verse 18. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make what? Peace. Those who make peace. And so, let's go back to our story of Solomon. After God gave Solomon this amazing gift of wisdom, like I told you before, God blessed Israel with a very long period of peace and righteousness and prosperity. I mean, God was blessing them spiritually. They had the temple. God was blessing them economically. Solomon was the richest king ever in Israel's history. He was blessing them militarily. All the other pagan nations didn't dare attack Israel because they knew that they would get defeated. I mean, this long period of peace and righteousness and prosperity. But it didn't last. Those of you who know your Old Testament, you know it didn't last. Why? Because Solomon, ladies and gentlemen, if you're with me, say amen, both here and through those lens. Because Solomon, even though he started well, he didn't finish well. What happened? Well, it all starts with this whole concept of marriage. You see, God's standard from the very beginning of time, God's standard for marriage is one man married to one woman. That's God's standard. You say, Pastor, you need to get up with the times. Look at the culture. I don't wanna look at the culture. I wanna stay focused on this book. And so from the beginning, God's standard for marriage, one man and one woman. Well, Solomon decided, I'm rejecting that. And he married lots of women. And not only that, God's word in Deuteronomy God warned the children of Israel, his people, he said, don't intermarry with the pagans from the surrounding nations. If you do, they're gonna turn your hearts away from me and you're gonna go after their gods. What does Solomon do? Solomon decides, I'm I'm gonna reject that. I think it's in 1 Kings 11, but it says, and I quote, Solomon loved many foreign women that doesn't line up with what God says. Now how many of you guys know you reap what you sow? No matter who you are, you're gonna reap what you sow. God is not gonna be mocked. And I know this is shocking for those of you who are new to the Bible, but the the word of God says that Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And then the word of God says, I think this is very interesting, in his old age, when he was an old guy when he should have known better his wives his foreign wives turned his heart away from the lord and to their false gods and so the wives were like honey would you go with me on the on the high hill to the high place and can we burn some incense you know to asherah can we worship molech can we bow down on our knees and say some prayers you know to kemosh yes dear And the man who was so wise became so foolish in his old age, when he should have known better. He traded godly wisdom for worldly wisdom, and here's what, listen, it starts fine, right? But then it doesn't end well. What happens is that not in his lifetime, but because of his sin of following his wives after foreign gods, what happened was, because of that, you reap what you sow, The next generation with his son Rehoboam, there's a civil war, there's a split in the kingdom. There's all kind of problems, chaos, corruption in the nation. Proverbs chapter 14 verse 34 says, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. I love the United States of America. I love the freedoms that we have in this country. We're far from a perfect nation. We have so many, so many mistakes and sins in our history. But I'm I'm grateful to live in this country. But, But here's what I know. God's word is true. And righteousness is what exalts a nation. And sin is a reproach to any people. And so just do a study of all the nations in world history and find out how they rose and how they fell, how they rose and how they fell. And just remember, pray for our country. Now, on a more individual level, if the wisest person in the world can fall away from the Lord, here's what I know, any of us can fall away from the Lord, any of us. And so not only should we, we be diligent you know, to get wisdom, We need to be diligent to keep it until the day we take our our last breath. And so I'm just gonna go through these final points quickly, but how do we get wisdom? Let's get real practical here. It all starts with the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 9.10 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And so most of you know that word fear, the fear of the Lord, is not talking about being afraid of God, it's talking about revering God. That's the idea, right? Everybody look at me. Fear the Lord, it doesn't, it doesn't mean we're scared of God, you know? It means that, man, we are in awe of God. That's why I'm so grateful you guys come and you and you lift up your hands and you're in awe of God and you're worshiping the Lord because He's worthy of our praise. And so we got to know that God is awesome. And God is always there. He's always there. Now dads and moms, you know that your child has a better chance of behaving, right, when you're present as opposed to absent. Am I right? Dads and moms, you know that your child has a better chance of obeying you when you're in the room as opposed to when you're out of the room. Well, here's what we need to know as God's children. The Lord is always in the room. (laughs) He is omnipotent, he is omniscient, and he is, here it is, omnipresent. That means that he's always there, and he's always watching. And so we should obey, he's in the room. Now, we're not obeying because we're afraid he's gonna smack us. (laughs) That's not the idea at all. So many people take that, you know, False truth, and they get, you know, their theology gets all messed up. No, 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 no. We obey him because his love and his grace and his mercy is so amazing. Man, he's changed our hearts. We want to obey him. We want to serve him. We want to love him. Look at what he's done for us. The eternal God took on human flesh, came and hung on a cross, and, and died and paid for your sin and my sin because he loves you so much and he doesn't want you to perish forever, and then he rose again the third day, and then if that's not enough, when he goes up, the Spirit of God comes down and lives inside of us, if that's not motivation to live for God until the day we die, I don't know what else God can do. So this is the Lord, this is what God, what God does. You know, He changes our hearts and he woos us and he loves us, and it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, and we obey him because We want to. How can we get wisdom? Well, we need to ask. That's number two. When's the last time you asked for wisdom? I hope a lot of you are saying, this morning, Pastor. This morning. So this is what James said in the very beginning of his letter, James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask. Let him ask God who gives generously, God loves to give his kids wisdom. Who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him, but, don't forget verse 16, let him ask in faith without doubting. And so we gotta go to the Lord in faith, knowing that he's a good, good father, that he wants to give us every good and perfect gift, right? And so we, with that attitude in faith, Father, I need wisdom. I don't wanna mess this thing up. And so please give me wisdom and understanding now. Please give it to me every single day of my life. Help me to see the world as you see it from your perspective. Give me a discerning heart. Help me to apply your truth to my life. Help me to be different. We need to fear the Lord. We need to ask God. But how else do we get wisdom? Number three, we gotta study and apply. Everybody say the word apply. Apply Apply God's word. Don't you guys know lots of people go to church in America? But the minority actually goes out and lives what they hear. Did I say majority or minority? The minority, the minority. And so at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached, Jesus said, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains fell, the floods came, the wind blew and beat against that house, and it stood because it was built on the rock. But everybody who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains came, the floods came up and the winds blew and beat on that house. And Jesus says, it fell and great was the fall of it. Now, for some reason, I don't think the Lord's talking about construction. I don't think he's talking about houses, I think he's talking about lives. And so the wise man was different from the foolish man. Why? Because the wise man heard the word of God and the foolish man didn't? No. They both heard the word of God. Lots of people come to church, they hear it, they hear it, they hear it, they hear it, they hear it. The wise person is the one who goes home and does it. That's the guy who stood strong through the storm. If you want your life, how many of you guys know it's not if the storm comes, it's when it comes. When the storms come, they will come. If you want your life to stand strong, man, be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. How do we get wisdom? The fifth, fourth is we gotta get godly counsel. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in the abundance of counselors, there is safety. I like that. And so if you got a big decision to make this afternoon, don't just get one counselor. Man, go to abundance, an abundance of counselors, right? But make sure that they're godly counselors (laughs) that are gonna lead you the right way as opposed to ungodly counselors that'll lead you the wrong way. Now, Now think about this for a minute. Who's that person that you're listening to? Who's that person that you're allowing to have influence over your life? Who's that person that you're reading about how to live life? You need to ask yourself the question, is this person godly or is this person ungodly? And if they're ungodly, why in the world are you listening to them? If they're not living for the Lord, why are you reading their books about how to live your life? That's dumb. Throw the book away. Stop listening to that person. You see, Psalm one says this, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. And so if you keep listening to that person, letting them influence your life, and you keep reading their books, what you're doing, if they're ungodly, is you're violating the very first verse in the whole book of Psalms. You gotta make sure that you're listening to and you're reading godly counselors. And then final point, how do you get wisdom? You gotta choose your friends carefully. This is huge. And so, Proverbs thirteen twenty. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. I love that, whoever walks with the wise will become wise. There's a gentleman in my life, he's older than me. He's been in ministry a lot longer than I have been in ministry, and whenever we get together, what do we do? We walk and we talk. We walk and we talk. And guess what I'm doing during that time? I'm listening more than I'm talking, and I'm getting a bunch of godly wisdom. Who do you hang out with? Who's your companion? If you're a companion of fools, you're gonna suffer harm. But if you walk with the wise, if you hang out with the wise, if you pick friends who are godly, then man, you're gonna become wise. And so in closing, let me just say this. David gave his son Solomon, when he was just a boy, some really good advice. He said, son, wisdom is the principal thing. So get wisdom. And man, with all your getting, get understanding. How many of you guys would agree that was great advice from a father to a son, right? All right, so we are the children of God. Let's take our Father in Heaven's advice and let's get wisdom, amen?